Thanks for tuning in to the For Love of the Game podcast, where we uncover the most cherished stories of America's favorite pastime. Woven into the DNA of our country are tales from our backyards and sandlots, summer leagues to the big leagues. Every fan has a personal connection, a memory, resonating in each of us. It takes us on a journey to a time long forgotten, or a moment in our youth. That first time we heard the crack of the bat, the roar of the crowd, the smell of the fresh cut grass. And these cherished recollections sit there in the back of our minds beckoning us back to the game that we know and love, our reason to come back home, our reason for our love of the game. Joining us on the podcast today, my former teammate, mentor, and Misericordia University legend, Mr. Max Weintraub. Max, welcome to the show. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Not too bad, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to be on here. Um, I know we got a, a lot of fun things to, to go over. Um, and especially, uh, you know, with our playing days together, um, I was, for, for those of you who don't know, just some, some background, I was fortunate enough to call Max, uh, my teammate for a year back in 2013. He was a, a senior getting ready to make his way out into the real world. And I was just a freshman and really we're two different points in, in our lives, but Max was, was definitely one of those guys as a freshman you were thankful for because, Let's be honest, as a freshman, there's, there's a lot going on. There are a lot of new things happening. And, you know, freshmen are, let's face it, stupid. <laughs> so <laughs> he, uh, he was certainly one of those guys that made my life easier and made the transition from high school to college smoother. But, um, Max, your dad actually came and spoke to the team um, our, my freshman year. And from what I remember, you know, from, from that talk, um, at least one, one of the points was he, he spoke a little bit about his playing days and he was a pretty decent ball player in his own right. Was he the one that introduced you to baseball? Yeah, it was, it was right away. Um, I mean, we've got home videos of me throwing a ball around when I was like two, three years old in the house. Um, he was the one that, you know, he took us to get our first glove. He was always our baseball coach. So he was always there. Um, as soon as we wanted to um, like, you know, say, dad, let's go have a catch. He was like, Hey, I already got my glove on. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. He definitely introduced me to the game. Awesome. Definitely feel that fire for you. So mm -hmm. do you have any, you know, what are what is your earliest memories at the ballpark? Did you get to go to the vet at all? Yeah. So I, I went to a couple games at veteran stadium. Um, I've got a couple cool memories there. I mean, even though like it was like, you know, my, my early part of my, my life, but um, I think the first game I ever went to, and I, I don't have the dates, right. It may have been like, 97 99 but I just remember the Phillies were playing the Reds and there was a brawl and I've never seen that I think Kurt Schilling was pitching and uh and we weren't too far up the baseline probably like 10th row or something I'm I'm right there in like the thick of it watching it um so that's one that stands out um but actually my favorite memory um was again maybe in like 99 I think and uh um before the game um I was you know, trying to get an autograph from anyone. And, and I didn't know who players were when I was that young. And Jose Lima jumps over the fence and sits down next to me, signs my ball, rubs my head, asks me how I'm doing. And, uh, and that's when I, like, I loved Jose Lima. I loved the way he pitched. So um, that was probably my favorite memory that really drew me into the game. Wow. That, that's incredible. I mean, as the little kid, you know, going there, you're just hoping for, for a foul ball or, or, you know, maybe get lucky enough to get an autograph. But to have that, sort of interaction with a guy like Jose Lima, who, if I recall, he was always very, 
always just seemed happy to be there and just a guy who who really um loved life and that's that's such a cool experience for for a kid so yeah um thanks thanks for sharing that man yeah, of um, course who were some of your favorite players growing up i would say my favorite player um of all time that i've watched is jimmy rollins um i just thought he was such a leader um i played shortstop growing up so like for me it was like i wanted to like watch him and like whenever i would make a good play like um, I always say like, oh man, like Jimmy Rollins would do it that way too. Um, you know, he had the A2000, had the A2000 glove. So it was like, Jimmy Rollins was a man. Um, I had like the honor of meeting him about two, three years ago. And, uh, when I stood next to him, like I'm, I'm like six, two, almost six, three. And he's like, he's, he's five ten. Like he's, he's a tiny guy. He's probably smaller than that. Um, so that was cool to finally meet him. Wow. That's awesome. And yeah, you don't realize for a shortstop, I think, you know, in the early 90s, you had the wave of, you know, well, Cal Ripken Jr., A-Rod, Jeter. They, these guys were all 6'4", I think. And Rollins, mm-hmm. to be able to do what he did at, at that height, that, that's pretty impressive. And you're right, he was always the catalyst and the leader. I know you had guys like Utley and, and, and Howard and Victorino, but he was the spokesperson. I know he uh, – <laughs> he uh, – predicted their their comeback against the Mets there and said they were the team to beat uh, in 08. Um, so, yeah, he uh, he was certainly fun to watch. Um, definitely yeah, he... one of one of my favorites to see up up on the web gems on uh, baseball tonight on the, on Sunday night before Sunday night baseball there. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, I'm glad I'm glad you talked about your playing days because, you know, to me, you just seem like a guy who would drop bombs in Little League. Were you a good hitter? I, I would I would like to think I was. Um, I definitely was always hitting in the middle of the lineup, um, like especially like in high school, like I was a 3-4 hitter. Um, you know, I was, I was starting shortstop, but also I was one of the starters as a pitcher too. So, um, and high school is so much different than, than college. When you go to high school, it's like your best player is probably your center fielder, your shortstop, your third baseman. Um, and when you take one of those guys out to, to pitch, you, you probably don't have the depth to, to continue like the game and have like the defense that you had before. Um, so like you have to make that up with more offense. So with me, with a bat in my hand, I always felt that like if that first pitch comes and it was a fastball, like, or like in the strike zone, like I'm going to, I'm going to get on base. And I did believe that like I was a good hitter. Um, and then I had a rude awakening when I realized when I went to college just how good some of these guys I played with were. Yeah, and definitely want to get into that a little bit. So when did, uh, for you, when did pitching really become uh, the reality for you? So, all right, so this is one of my favorite stories, Jim. Um, my freshman year, I'm at Misericordia, and we had our, our freshman fall uh, season and after the season, I remember having like, you know, the post fall season meeting with Coach Egbert. And he says to me, he goes, you're 6'2", 190 pounds. You're a good athlete. And you throw the ball barely 80 miles an hour. And he goes, we're going to take a bat out of your hand and we're going to teach you how to pitch. And uh, you're going to work out and uh, turn you into a better pitcher. So like for me, it was like, I just want to play on the team. I go, I don't care. Like, if I'm on the bench, like, I want to be part of this program. So that's when I became a pitcher. Um, and it was, it was really, the, the decision was really. Yeah. 
Yeah, as it is in, in college and especially being a part of that program, you're right. It's just something that, like I said, you, you want to do whatever it takes just to be a part of that team, a part of that group. Um, definitely some, some special memories um, from, from our time there. Um, so I got to ask, though, so when did the Vulcan get invented? Max has this uh, elusive pitch. If I don't know if you want to describe it, give, give away <laughs> the secret or not, but yeah. Um, Figured I'd ask. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, I, I don't know how um, how much you know about like my my injuries and surgeries I had, but uh, in 2010 in the fall, I uh, I was out having a catch with uh, I think it was Justin Chalesky, and I couldn't throw a baseball like 40 feet, and so like I, you know I got um, an MRI done. And it came back that I had a torn labrum, that I dislocated my ulnar nerve and my elbow. So I, I had these major surgeries and had to relearn how to throw a baseball pretty much. Um, so, so one of the things, I've, I never had a change-up. So I said, you know what, this is a great time to develop a change-up. But I'm not just going to do any change-up. Like, I got to be something special. So I, uh, I looked up this pitch called the Vulcan change-up. And it's basically a, a split finger change-up, but I split it between my middle finger and ring finger. Um, and it, it had some, some good movement to it. It really was a lot slower than my fastball. Uh, it was just so hard to control. And I like made it a mission for that to work. And, um, I think I only threw it like maybe like two or three times in game, but it was like something that I was like, I was just like, Hey everyone, like, look at this pitch. Like I, I love having that in my arsenal. No, that's awesome. Especially if you can whip it out every now and then, and, you know, if a guy keeps following a pitch off and you're able to switch it up to, to something different and get them out. Um, but that, that almost reminds me, I think Jose Contreras, uh, I think, threw a similar pitch. I don't know if you remember him, pitched for the Yanks and the White Sox and yeah. a couple other teams, but he would stick a softball in between those two fingers, the middle finger and the ring finger, and separate his grip and stretch those fingers out to, to throw something similar, So, I think, which is kind of crazy to think about, but um, that's, that's pretty cool. So Yeah. Your first two years of college, you guys were competitive. Um, I think '09 and 2010, a um, couple of games above 500. But then in 2011, you guys turned the corner and win that first title. So, what was that transition like from just the competitive team to really um, the start of you know a, a, a powerhouse in the making? I it's it's kind of crazy. I don't know if anyone can really say that they felt something similar. Um, you know, our first two years at Misericordia, we broke the school record for wins. We went 22 and 18. I think our 21 and 19 the first year and 22 and 18 the second year, like the, the school record was a, basically a 500 season. So the following year, my junior year, um, and this is a year that, that I was hurt, I redshirted. Um, we got the, the preseason poll and we were, I think, picked to finish last or second to last in the conference. And it's just people just, I don't want to say outperform, but things just came together. Like we, you know, we worked our, our, our tails off that, uh, that off season. And you just, you'd look back at our pitching staff and, um, and it, like Pat Clark was like an absolute workhorse. Like he just consistently game in game out three strikes, put us in positions to win. Um, and like the offense came around, we had like, you know, Jeff Slanovic and Nate Newman, um, you know, those guys were just unbelievable at the dish. Like Jeff Slanovic could hit a home run and then the next pitch drop a bunt for a base hit. Like it was, it was like something every other game. 
Um, so then we get to this level uh, in 2011 and we're sitting like, wow, like we're, we're playing really well. Um, this, like, this could actually like be a thing. Like we could actually like, you know, take this by storm. And, and we did like, there were so many games that year that were so emotional. And I look back on because like it, they were games that were hard, hard fought. And there was heroics that like took place. Like um, when you, like there was a, a, one game we're playing the sales and Kenny Durling climbs, scales the wall and makes the most unbelievable catch that I've ever seen in my entire life. And like those images just stick with you. So yeah, the, the transition, like it was, it was awesome. Like being a part of that and like to what misericordia became for the last 10 years has been, been awesome. Um, but I think you get to appreciate it more when you realize like where you came from. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what did it feel like when you guys finally won that, that first title and got over the hump? Oh man, it was like, you know, the, the first dog pile, um, I've, I've never dog piled before. And it's just like a rush of emotions. You're running, you're jumping, and then next thing you know, you're at the bottom of the pile and you can't breathe and there's an elbow in your neck and maybe a knee in your back. Um, and then it's just like, like you're on top of the world. Yeah. You don't, you don't forget those moments. Yeah. No, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I can remember that first one, man. And it, it certainly was sweet. But um, like you had mentioned, um, you got hurt, had to have some surgery, and you missed competing on the field, um, that first one. So what, what was that rehab process like for you? It, it was a struggle. There was times where, like, I really broke down. Um, when I'll preface it by saying that, like, when you go to college, you have four years and that's it. And you want to build on those years. And, like, I really had improved from freshman year to sophomore year. And then to, like, find out that I had these major injuries um, and I had to take some time off, I'm like, all right, like, like everything that I just built is on hold. And, like, am I going to get a chance to get back to where I was? So I had uh, labrum surgery in 2010, December. Um, six months later, I had a ulnar nerve transposition, which basically meant they took my, my funny bone, which was dislocated. And they cut up my bicep and forearm and, and routed the funny bone through my, my bicep, like through the middle of my arm. So um, that was in May of 2011. I was not allowed to pick up a baseball until October. Um, and then I had a throwing program. Um, it didn't work. I, I, had, uh, I, I took steps back from where I was. And then I just, I remember going to like his office and he was like, hey, listen, like, you're going to be on my program now. And this is something that I think a lot of guys like never saw, but from November of 2011 um, until I guess the end of 2012, um, Pete coach Egbert would stay with me after practice for like 30 minutes and just throw with me. Like in the first month was me sitting in a chair, trying to raise my arm and throw a baseball to him 10 feet away. And that's all I could muster. So like if it wasn't for, for coach Egbert taking that time to like really like drive me to rehab and, and drive me to, to get back to where I, I could be. Um, I don't know if it would have happened. I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I would have kept up with it. Um, that, that would have been a really tough, uh, tough decision to make. Yeah. Wow. And that's, that's truly amazing. And you're right. Um, a lot of people, especially on the outside and sometimes even on your own team, don't even see, 
the sacrifices that the coaches are making. And when that's coming from the head coach, um, that, that truly means a lot to you as a player, I'm sure. Um, and when you talk about the transition um, as a team from, from really good to, to great, that, that starts with a top, top down. And, and when you got a coach who's doing things like that, um, that really, really hits home and, and pays dividends for you. So that, that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty special. Um, yeah. So you're finally able um, after a long process to, to get back on the diamond um, you guys win again in 2012 and then, you know, your big contributor in 2013 as well. Were those championships even sweeter knowing what you overcame? Yeah, definitely was my, I'm sure the last impression that my teammates had from 2000, the year 2012 was, you know, I, I think I threw in maybe two games, um, in those, which I had maybe like four. I had like, you know, 10 walks. Like I had no control. I had no idea where the ball was going. So when I came back that following year um, and I had a good fall season, I think people were like, all right, like, hey, Max, like he rehabbed, like he might be able to work his way back into like an important role. And then, I mean, really what it came down to was like just, you know, the workouts, the practices. And I think I found myself in a role where um, I was kind of like the the non-conference reliever, um, you know, had some conference games. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a super senior, I'm 23 years old and the, the better reliever on the team, the closer was Corey, who was a freshman who he was lights out. So it was, it was cool to be like, you know, I, I felt like I had an important role and I saw so many guys around me grow and so many guys that had just such amazing talent, um, to be a part of that. Um, and then like my, my shining moment, like the, one of my goals, I, every year I have a book and I write down all my goals in it. And I've been doing this since about 2007. So one of my goals was I, for that year was I wanted to pitch in the conference playoffs. And, um, I remember, uh, 2013 and I got a four inning save. Um, it was in the playoffs to go to the championship. Like that was to me, that was like, Hey, listen, I did it. I got back. Um, I had an important role in this team, and I can really say I was like a part of this uh, this championship season. Yeah, and that was actually one. Um, just just thinking back, there are a few moments from from 2013 that I remember, but specifically that game. You know, you came in, lights out, shut the door, but <laughs> we almost didn't have you for the for the rest of the game because there's there's this one pitch, and I think there's two outs and. I don't know what the pitch selection was, but this kid hits an absolute rocket back to you. And I, I thought Max was going to be a goner. Like it, it, was, it happened so fast. Maybe you stuck your glove up there, almost <laughs> knocked you out. And then we're all just like, like what just happened? And you just, you know, toss the ball down, walk off the mound, like nothing happened. But that's <laughs> something that's, that's an image that, that I won't forget. Just you know, yeah. cool, cool, common collective. Do you, yeah, he, do you remember he, that one? Yeah, man, he hit that ball into my glove. I did not, I did not move my glove at all. Like that was, like I can't even. I looked over at like the dugout. Like I was pretty pumped up, and I remember. I think what happened before that was there may have been some sort of error or a pop up. And I remember Joe Tags was like, you know, he was upset that he didn't make a play, and he's like, "That's my fault." And I just remember saying, "Hey, I'll get you the ball the next time." And and so the kid hits a line drive back at me. I don't move my glove. The first thing I do is I just, you know, pick it out and I throw it to Joe to, to throw it around the horn. 
And then I look in at the the bench and, you know, everyone's going nuts. And, and, and Coach Egbert's like, next time charge it. And I was like – and then I smiled. Like, I couldn't stop smiling that game. Like, that was that was unbelievable. That's that's incredible. I, f- I forgot he said that. But he, he was yeah. always so quick with the one-liners, man. <laughs> that's so amazing. many good one-liners he had. Wow. Um, and another great moment. Um, I, I don't want to steal your thunder here, but you also got the start against Keystone during the regular season. And it's number, I think they were thir- ranked 13th in the country at yeah. that time. Yeah. And you absolutely shoved it there for five innings. Um, what was that moment like for you? That, that was pretty cool. Um, and, like, so I remember, I think we had, like, the previous week, maybe, like, six or seven games in a week. And because we had some rainouts. And I remember going in the coach's office and, I, I think I had a, a previous outing that I wasn't doing – I didn't do too well in. Um, so, like, I remember going to his office and be like, hey, like, I'm ready if you need me. And he goes, how about Wednesday, Keystone? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So, you know, it's game time. We go out there. And and I think, you know, uh, Pete Dog can even, like, if you ever asked him, like, he, re- he probably remembers this. I was not in the best mood that day because I could not hit a spot. Like, I was throwing fastballs. I had, they weren't going to, like – anywhere I wanted them to. I was throwing my, my cutter slider um, and that was keeping them off balance. And then I did throw that Vulcan change up. And I remember I struck a guy out on it because it moved so much. It hit him in the chest as he swang. So, or he was swinging. So, um, and like the fifth inning. Um, and if you remember too, coach Egbert wasn't allowed to be in the dugout that game. Cause he was, yep. he was ejected the previous game. So coach Gargone comes up to me and I have never thrown more than two innings prior to this point after the rehab and all that, I was exhausted. Um, and thank God we had a rain delay because I basically, even though it was like five scoreless innings, I basically took myself out of the game knowing that if I went back in, I would not have anything left to give. And it's a little, it's embarrassing to look back on because it's only five innings, but like, that's just, that's just where my mind was at. I was, I was happy with how I did, but like, um, throughout the game like i i wish i did better yeah yeah no that that uh that rain delay i guess was almost a blessing in disguise um because i think lobo came in the six he shut it down the six and then i think they got two guys on quickly and then the sky just opened up and we had to call it and if if anyone wants to watch a funny video uh the quality's kind of crappy but we have our rain delay antics up on YouTube, courtesy of, I think, did you, did you film that? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, so Max Max was, he was happy with where he was. He's checked out. He's, he's got us on, on camera. I did, yeah, I did my job that day. <laughs> That's right. He was done. The work was done. But, yeah, look it up. Keystone, Misericordia, rain delay. Uh, pretty funny. But, uh, nonetheless, that was a great game. We came out on top. Um, and one of the uh, – I would say one of the probably the most fun memories of, of my college career. But um, one thing that I, I know I mentioned how, you know, he kind of took me under your wing um, my freshman year was the fact that, you know, I guess one of the greatest lessons I learned from you was one, to always be prepared, always be ready. Um, you know, you're always seem locked into the game. But then also um, was the fact that you can have an impact on the game, even if you're not specifically playing um, mm-hmm. on the field. 
And if, if you've ever played against Misericordia or have gone to a game, um, you understand that it's a talented bunch of guys. But then also, we could be pretty annoying to play against. Um, the energy and just the noise that we brought to each game, I think, added another just level of intensity to it. Um, you can call it bench jockeying if you want to. But really, um, like I said, it just it's another just level that the opposing team has to get over and get themselves ready for. When did that um, realization sink in for you that, hey, I can have an impact on this other team um, and maybe force them you know, to get out of their comfort level a little bit? Uh, when did yeah. that start for you? I, I was uh, high school or even middle school. Like it was always like being loud on the bench and just like, I know that if I'm at the plate, I want to hear my guys behind me. Um, and if they're having fun, then I'm going to be having fun. So uh, when I get to college, um, when I became a really a pitcher and I'm not playing every day, like how do you show up to a game? And, and at the end of the game, like if you're not exhausted, like why did you show up? Like why – if you're not going to put all your energy into that game, even if you're not playing, but how else are you going to like exert that energy and give your hundred percent? Um, like how, like, how do you feel good about yourself? That's what I always felt like. Um, so like my freshman year, we were, we, we were always loud. We had some, some funny jokes some really funny guys. Um, one time, actually multiple times, like Egbert would come in and say, Hey Max, listen, you're being a little bit too much. I'm going to put you on mute for like three innings. So for three innings, I wasn't allowed to talk. Um, and then really, as we started winning, um, we got louder, uh, we got more creative on the bench and I would say probably junior year, 2011, you really saw the impact of what we had. Um, and then not just with other players getting rattled, but other coaches and parents too, making scenes to, uh, to get us to, to quiet down. Um, but that was always something that like I took pride in and like, um, I think it was the playoffs one year and I'm hurt. Like I, I can't play. There's no, like I don't even have a Jersey this year and we're playing the sales and I'm yelling, I'm screaming and their coach from across the field yells out and goes, put in number 25. And he knew I was 25 and he goes, Oh, that's right. You can't put him in probably cause he sucks. And we were all like, <laughs> like I'm redshirted. I can't even be in there and just kept yelling. So, so that was always something that I took pride in. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure I, I annoyed a lot of people, um, probably even on our team. Um, but that's just the way I played the game. Oh, I love it. I love it. And um, that's something that I'll never forget. And I came to, to watch a game in 2012, um, and that's something that sticks out in my mind. You guys were playing, I think, in Sawyersville, just because the, the renovation on the field uh, yeah, was going on and you guys were sitting on the dug like the top of the dugout just going bananas and it was like yeah this this is going to be fun um but who who would you say if you could have i know we did the the misericordia uh all decade team if you could have um you know top three or four guys uh in the dugout to bring the noise who are you picking all right so this one was a lot of fun to think about so I'm, I'm going to go with my, my number one and number two, but in no order specifically, because I think they're both like, they were both a lot of fun for me was Pete Doggett and Justin Chileski. Um, those two guys, like we, we went through so many years together um, and it was always like the three of us kind of like in one part of the dugout that we're always yelling. 
Um, my fourth one, uh, third one is going to be uh, Evan Robuchevsky. Um, Evan transferred in after his sophomore year. So he had two years with us. And like right away, he was like, oh, these guys are awesome. Um, like I'm going to be yelling with them too. And uh, if I had a fourth one, it'd be you, man. Like, uh, I mean, we, we fed off each other in 2013. And um, it's just, it's a bunch of guys that like when they're, when they're on the mound, they're so serious. Like um, they're locked in, there's nothing can affect them. And then as soon as they cross over that, that foul line and they're in the dugout, um, it's like, all right, listen, we, we gotta, we gotta start yelling again. (laughs) Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a solid squad right there. Um, I know I, I remember, uh, Ronnie uh, had a, had a few good ones too, and Mikey Impel uh, was was always was always a presence. Oh, man. But that, I don't forget about a, Mikey. Yeah, Mike Mikey's in there too. Mikey one hundred percent is in there. Yeah, he was no. a, he was another guy that if, if he was like if he didn't play, he was still exhausted. He was running down the line. He was doing you know jumping jacks and getting ready to go in. He was always ready. Like Mikey's in there. He's he's part of the part of the yeah. gang. Yeah, and and as and as fun and, and you know <laughs> and hilarious as that was, like I mentioned before, it, it did add another level of just I don't know. It just brought our level of playing on the field. I think it heightened. I know, like from the starters that I would talk to when you know Kyle Lindsay or Chris Borak would be in the batter's box, and to hear the guys going nuts in the dugout, it it just locked you in out there. So I think you know when we're talking about the the transition. Um, from a competitive team to, to a great, a great team um, that certainly played a role in it. I, I would have to think um, because like I said, just, you just raise the level of the guys around you. Um, and it, and it certainly has an effect on, on the other team. Um, do you have kind of switching gears here a little bit? Do you have um, any specific, specific, item or like piece of memorabilia that you've kept from your college days? Yeah. Um, I've, I've got jerseys. Um, I don't, I don't think I have any hats anymore. They, those hats got so disgusting. Um, I, I think my wife was like, listen, uh, I'll buy you a new one. Um, but I would say I kept on to the game ball from uh, that Manhattanville game in the playoffs when, when I had the forwarding save. Um, I, I, I held on to that one. That one meant a lot to me. Um, you know, that, that one for me was like everything I went through, um, the, the injuries, the, the, the days where I'm just sitting there watching everyone play. Like I couldn't run. I wasn't allowed to, to do anything athletic for months. Um, the rehab and, and the even coming back and pitching, getting absolutely rocked uh, in 2012. Um, that one to me is the one I still have. It's in my drawer back home. Um, that one like means a lot to me because then that just, I can look back at it and say, Hey, listen, I, I went through a really tough time and, and this was like the end result. So I could see it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I would, I would certainly keep that one too. Um, and then I'm, I'm glad you brought up Max again, because after, you know, winning the Mac championships for the first, the, my first year, the team's third year, I was introduced to a game called Skyball. And it, for those of you who don't know it, you, it's, this like rubberized ball, probably about the size of a softball, but you can absolutely launch it. And I know a few of us played a, a few games in between Max and uh, the regional tournament. Um, 
and it was just some some fun times you know we we it was during finals week so it just relieved some stress a little bit and it was just different from the the routine of practice and everything who who do you have to have if you could do you know top four or five guys for your sky ball squad who are you picking all right so number one picks gonna be andrew tressa um the he was he was just an athlete he was good at everything uh and always like would you know dive and and you know get a face full of mud that that's my number one pick um who else uh i would say uh uh, I would say Ryan Caccioli, uh, he athlete too, real good shortstop when I play with him. Um, I'm going to have Joe Tags in there. Um, I'm going to have Evan Robachevsky, who was probably the most underrated hitter in the history of Misericordia, <laughs> even though he was just a starting pitcher. And um, I shouldn't say just a starting pitcher. He was, he was everything. Um, those, are, those are my guys. Those are the ones I want on my team. What yeah. about you? Who do you have? Who do you have? Well, it's – it's tough because how, I mean, how can you go against those guys? You know, like you said, they just, they're competing on the field, but then in everyday life too. Um, so that, that's a solid squad, but for someone from our class who, who is a tremendous sky ball athlete, Ben Serralo, throwing that out <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. he, he was tremendous. And I think, uh, definitely sky ball MVP a few times. Um, I'll have to have Delro just because another guy who, who competes, uh, you know, in, in life in general and definitely gets on the other team's nerves too. Um, and then got to go with my boy, Chris Borak, just cause his, his hands are ridiculous and um, you need defense to win in sky ball as well and to track mm-hmm. down those flies. So I think those three guys um, and, and how can you not go against the, uh, the, the all-time hits leader, Kyle. And I was yeah. just about to say that. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to get those, those guys together and uh, battle it out. Um, maybe one of these alumni, <laughs> alumni games, we can do a, a sky ball rematch. Oh yeah. But um, a, f- a few more, few more questions for you, Max. I um, want to be cognizant of your time here, but we are about to unveil a brand new segment, actually in honor of our guest today. Um, and the segment <laughs> is called question of the day and this is something that max would do that the whole team loved and and i tried to carry on when when you left as well just something while you know we're we're stretching either before practice or before the game that just kind of loosens you up gets the jitters out um and always get gets the guys talking so i'm gonna i have i have about 10 here we're gonna do rapid fire for you and and we'll see what you go with all right let's go all right it's question of the day DH or no DH? DH. Pants do we, do we with, keep going? We're just we're just gonna keep okay. going. Yep. Pants up with socks showing or pants down? Pants down. Night game or day game? Night game. CKs or J and J's? Ooh, CKs. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. All right, that one threw me for a loop. All right, next one. Sheets or Wawa? Wawa, 100%. Pats or Genos? Genos. Two sevens or one nine? Two sevens. Definitely. Love it. This one might be tough. Jim Tomey or Ryan Howard? Ryan Howard. Wow. Okay. We might have to come back to that one. (laughs) (laughs) Steak and Shake or Golden Corral? Steak and Shake. 
Wow. Yeah, you got to. Hopefully they can uh, survive this uh, this storm here. I don't know. It's not yeah. looking looking too good. I think we might have had some of our last best uh, memories as a as a team there. But yeah. uh, last one: hot coffee or iced coffee? Hot coffee. Yeah, winner. Mm-hmm. Good deal. So that was question of the day, man. I'm surprised yeah, you fun. went. I'm surprised you went with with Ryan Howard. Well, I mean, he did win the World Series with you guys, so. So, so here's, here's my, my, my view on them. Like, I, I love Jim Tomey. I thought he was awesome, especially, like, when you hear about, like, the history of, like, Charlie Manuel and Jim Tomey working together and, and how Charlie helped him become the power hitter that he was. But, like, with Ryan Howard in, in those, like, championship contender years, whenever Ryan Howard got to the plate, the world stopped in Philadelphia. Like, you had to see what Ryan Howard was going to do. And it wasn't – like, he wasn't, like – I would say, like, your, your typical home run hitter, like, he hit a lot of opposite field home runs. Like, you just knew that, like, this guy was seeing the ball, and, and if he made contact, that ball was going to go. Um, so, Ryan Howard, for me, was, like, hands down. He's, he's one of my favorite hitters because just I remember what it was like when he was at the plate. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. And he had power to all fields. I think what impressed me most about him – he could hit it just as far to left center and left field as he could when he pulled it. And when he was at the top of his game for a few years there, it, it was fun to watch. Um, mm-hmm. And this, this is kind of interesting question for you. Who do you think is going to be the next uh, Philadelphia franchise to win a championship if we ever get sports back here? Um, man, I, I think it's going to be the Eagles again um, or maybe the Flyers. I just – with the Sixers, I just feel like they've got talent. I I just I can't see them pulling it together like with everyone and and having a run, um, especially I mean this year. Um, it's just it, there's too many injuries, too many wild cards with that uh, with that team. And then the Phillies, I they've got some good ball players, but like you look at like a championship winning uh, team and how it's constructed, and I just I don't think they're there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just I that I think they need a lot of work. Yeah, it's a good answer. Good answer. Um, I think we'll uh, we'll wrap it up with with this question for you. It's a little little different. Still along the uh, the baseball theme here. If you could have any one baseball announcer throughout the history of the game follow you around and announce your life like a, like an actual game, who would it be? Uh, man, Philly great Harry Callis. Um, yep. I. That that's a voice that like you know who it is as soon as he starts talking, um, and he was he was the guy you listened to growing up. Um, that's that's someone that I would want to uh, if you ever followed me around to, to, to pick up you know pick up a bottle of water and he lets the world know in his voice. That would be that would be incredible. <laughs> we uh, yeah. we'll, we'll have to see. Um, unfortunately, no longer with us, but uh, if we mm-hmm. can somehow. Uh, get a auto tune of his voice or something and make that happen. I think uh, we, we should try it out, but uh, Max, man, this has been a, a great conversation. Thanks again for coming on. Jim. Thanks for having me. It was great to talk to you, man. That wraps up today's conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, please give our podcast a like and share it with your friends. And if you have a baseball-related story to tell that you would like to have featured on the show, drop us a line in the comments, or you can send a direct message to our Facebook page. 
Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, I'm Jim Tunison, and this is For Love of the Game.